Well, you may have been handed one of these when you walked in. I handed some out to people I thought needed them. It's called a play sheet for our pocketbooks. And I'm going to do something today I've only done one other time at Eagle Bible Church. As the text allowed it, I am going to speak on money. It's something I've done only twice in seven years. The timing is right. And so we're going to talk about money. So if you're here today and you don't want to hear about money, uh, I'll pray one long 10-minute prayer. and You can just get out of here and go do whatever. But here's what I don't want. I don't want you sitting there thinking, okay, here goes the pastor talking on money. Yada, yada, yada. I got to bring my gold ring and my necklace up. No, no, no. I hope at the end of this, there will be two feelings. Some of you will feel encouraged because you're doing this and excel still the more, says Paul. Some of you may feel a little guilty um, because the stats just show it, and we're no different. It's not a false guilt. I'm not shaming. I'm not pointing the finger. In fact, this week I've had to wrestle in my own heart. What am I doing with all the funds that the Lord has given me? But I want it to be a true conviction, and we're going to end with grace and hope. So we're just getting it all out on the table. There's no uh, wading into this like, you know, you see at the eagle pool there where you can go in where it's about one inch and then eventually get to the forefoot. We're just jumping right on in, right off the edge. Boom. We're talking about money. All right? Sound like fun? Here we go. There's a picture up there, and that picture came from an article in Relevant Magazine, July 2013. It was called, What Would Happen If the Church Tithed? How Giving 10% Could Change the World. It says, The church today is not good in giving. That's not anything uh, of new news. It's not exactly news, but it's a statistical fact. Tithers make up 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Uh, Only 5% of the U.S. tithes and 80% of Americans are only giving 2% of their income. Christians today give 2.5% per capita, while in the Great Depression, when there was no money, they gave 3.3%. Let me give you a few more facts. I call this Confront the Brutal Facts. It's from a book uh, by Jim Collins called From Good to Great. And as you're going to see, I want to move us from good. Things are good here at Eagle Bible Church, but I want to move them to great. I want to move them to great in any church. In fact, if you're here today and you're just visiting, uh, I want you to go back to your church. I want the message today. I want you to walk in here from day, your heart forever changed on how you see money, how you see God. Americans who earn less than $10,000 gave 2.3%. Those who earned 70000 gave only 1.2%. In the latter statistic, from 12500 they used to give 7% up to $90,000 and more. They gave 8%. In between, people didn't give that much. Here's what was said in 2003. Uh, where was this? This was said in, in 2000. If members of the historical Christian churches in the United States had raised their giving to the Old Testament minimum standard of giving, 10%. By the way, they gave a lot more. In 2000, there would be $139 billion, with a B, a year would be available to assist in Christian-based mission work. Today, according to this article in 2013, here's a few things the church, I'm not talking Eagle Bible Church, though it'd be nice to have $1.65 billion. Here's something the church on a global scale could do with $1.65 billion. $1 billion could fund all overseas mission work. The Moors thinking about going to another country, they could be fully funded. 
12 billion would eliminate illiteracy, which means reading and writing. I found that out this morning. So yes, spelling is a part of that. It could help me be a better speller. 10 billion would eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion would solve the world's water and sanitation issues and death that comes with that. 25 billion would relieve global hunger and disease-causing deaths in five years. And there would still be 110 billion left over for ministry expansion. We could have curtains everywhere. All up and down here, we could have all sorts of stuff. So why don't we give? Really, the truth is, giving is a heart issue. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 7. And I want to want you to walk away. I want you to see this next verse. I want you to see it. That as you excel in everything. So I could come in and I could talk about how we excel in faith, how we excel in speech, how we excel in knowledge, how we excel in all earnestness and in our love for you. We're excelling in that. I could talk about that. See that you excel, and here's the key, in this act of grace. This act of grace. That is what giving is. It is an act of grace. Please do not walk out of here and feel like the law was laid on you today. And you're saying to yourself, hey, aren't we talking about the Ten Commandments? Well, yes, yes we are. And as as Garrett read earlier, are we robbing God? Today we're talking about stealing. And so today is about our hearts and the Eighth Commandment. Here's the preview of what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the original meaning of the text in Exodus 20.15. We're going to look at some timeless truths. I gave you eight because it's the Eighth Commandment. I don't know. It just worked out that way. And then the contemporary relevance for believers. If anyone's listening to this online, for EBC. And so we're going to talk about money. It begins in Exodus 20.15. Pretty easy little verse. We could be done with the original meaning of this in about one minute. You shall not steal. Now, I'm not going to do it again, though we've done it before. And you can guess, every single translation says you shall not steal. They say in four words what the Hebrew says in two, no stealing. At its essence, in the original meaning, little explanation is given because little is needed. Israel was largely a peasant community. Life was hard, so stealing was a serious crime. You do not take from others what does not belong to you. And so throughout the whole Old Testament, you see birthrights were stolen and blessings were stolen. Kidnapping is mentioned, trespassing, unjust business contracts, possessing stolen goods. Those are all things related to stealing. And yes, I didn't tell this to my kids, so they're learning it here today. Your father uh, stole. Your grandfather, whom you never met, had to walk me back in to Skaggs Alpha Beta. Anybody grow up with a Skaggs Alpha Beta? Praise the Lord. I walked out, and I not only stole, but I, I was kind of proud of the fact that, hey, Dad, I took a pack of gum, and he looked at me with that look. You know, he's got that look. And he said, he walked me back in, and it was the most one of the most embarrassing moments in my life, and in a good way. And he said, young man, tell her what you did. I took this hubba bubba. And he said, what do you do? And you give it back to her. And then I'll just let you imagine what happened when daddy got Judd home. 
It's a generally accepted standard in life. It is not right to take something that doesn't belong to you. In fact, C.S. Lewis uh, thought it was such a standard of life that he mentions it in his first section of his book, uh, Mere Christianity. It's called Right and Wrong as a Clue to Understanding the Universe. It is not right to take somebody else's orange. Uh, Even thieves don't want their goods stolen. Uh, Think of the movie The Italian Job or Ocean's Eleven. Those thieves wanted to protect their goodies that they stole from other people. And you may be thinking, yes, yes, Judge, I I get it. Be done with thou shalt not steal because I don't do that. I've never taken anything. To take something that belongs or is due to another person. Something normally relates to, this normally relates to material possessions, but it's far greater. We are not to think that we have kept this commandment just because, says James Montgomery Boyce, we have not broken into a home and walked off with someone else's possessions. There are different subjects from whom we can steal. God, others, and ourselves. There are many ways to steal, by stealth, violence, or deceit. And there are many objects we can steal, money, time, or even a person's reputation. The idea, I think he goes on to articulate there, is when you gossip, you are stealing somebody's reputation. We steal from God when we fail to worship as we ought or when we set up our own concerns ahead of His. We steal from Him when we spend our time in personal self-indulgence and do not tell others of His grace. We steal from an employer when we do not give the best work of which we are capable or when we overextend our coffee breaks or leave work early. We steal if we waste raw products with which we are working or we use, and this dates him, back before there were cell phones, when we use the telephone for prolonged professional, personal conversations rather than for business to which they were assigned. We steal if, as a merchant, we charge too much for our product to make a killing in a lucrative field. We steal if we sell an inferior product pretending that it's better than it is. We steal from our employees if their work environment harms their health or we do not pay them enough to guarantee a healthy, adequate level of living. We steal by mismanaging others' money. We steal when we borrow and do not repay a loan on time or at all. We steal when we indulge ourselves in material goods while others go without necessities of existence, food, clothing, shelter, and Medicare. We steal if we become so zealous in saving or accumulating money that we rob even ourselves of the necessities. Montgomery Boyce says there in his systematic theology, stealing is far deeper and it's far broader than we thought. That's it. That's the original meaning. Don't take something that doesn't belong to you. But there are about eight timeless truths that will help us understand what's implicit here. We can easily see, if we were to look at it, all Ten Commandments tell us something about what God values. God values in Commandment 1 Himself exclusively. There should be no other gods before Him. God values Himself biblically. We shouldn't make any image of Him in what we think. He's given us the Bible to show us what we should think. God values himself as a reality. We shouldn't use his name flippantly. And God values himself as our priority, that he should have the most of our time. God values family. That is, uh, we should honor father and mother. God values life. We should not murder. God values relationships. We should not commit adultery. And next week you'll see God values the truth. We shouldn't lie. And two weeks from now you'll see God values devotion, heart satisfied in him. We shouldn't covet what we do not have. And so we come to our first principle here in relation 
to Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. God values ownership. Now, we live in a world that uh, it's capitalist by far where we live, and that's a good thing that comes closest. Uh, socialism says, no, no, the state should own everything. Uh, capitalism says, no, we own everything. Christian economics say, actually, God is the owner, and we're just his stewards. More on that in just a minute. But God values ownership. In fact, he owns everything. Psalm 24, 1, the earth, the earth, the earth, the entire earth. There's a gentleman coming home from space. Have you seen that? He's taking, you know, he's in social media, he's just taking pictures of the earth. That, that God owns that. It's his. It's like a little marble in his hand. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So everything on the earth is his, the world and those who dwell there within. People are his. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle of a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Now, God isn't possessive. He's given us this world to enjoy. You'll see that later on. And First Chronicles says, both riches and honor come from you. So the riches of the world... And the honor we give to people come from God. He owns it and he rules over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. God owns everything material and immaterial. Thus, logically following that, ownership allows us to imitate him as image bearers. If he is the one who is sovereign in his providence, he has allowed us to own things. So we are not communists. And that's why communism is evil. God owns everything and he has made us his stewards. He allows us to imitate him as we work out and we are responsible for the things we own. This starts from a very small age when youngsters desire their own toys. You've heard it if you're a parent over and over again. That is mine. It's built within our system. God owns everything and our ownership Next principle is a stewardship. It is a stewardship. If God owns everything and we now have something in our possessions, we are thus stewards of it. It is not necessarily ours, though legally, and we could go through all the human aspects, it is ours, but God owns it and our ownership is stewardship. And we are responsible for what we've been given. Matthew uh, 25 talks about that when it talks about the talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we are. We're all servants of God, stewards of what he's given us. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of, the mas of your master. We're not going to walk through the entire parable, but he talked about giving different people different uh, amounts that they were to steward. Two of them did well. One of them did not do well. Each of us has given, been given something to steward. Some of us have been given a little. Some of us have been given a lot. And so as stewards, we are blessed with possessions to be a blessing to people. We are blessed to be a blessing. Do you catch that? When you, If God owns everything and you're a steward, as stewards, we are blessed with what we've been given to be a blessing to others. Let me just give you a few verses on being a blessing. For the commandments say, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is Paul's commentary on 
Leviticus 19.11, where that falls in. How do you love your neighbor? One of the ways you love your neighbor is you do not steal. How do you love your boss? One of the ways is you do not pilfer from your company. In fact, you're to not steal, but you're to make money. Acts 20.35 says, In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's not recorded in the Gospels. I know people are here that are like, well, Jesus didn't really say it because it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But he did say it, and Paul recorded it. It just wasn't recorded by those guys. Interesting. The only words of Christ that he didn't say in the Gospels, here's what he chooses. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, how are we to get and then give? We do not steal. In fact, to be a blessed steward, we must be diligent workers. Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that, notice here in Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. And here's a reason why you're to work. This is one of the reasons why we work, so that he may have something to share with anyone, anyone in need. In fact, Paul would say in 2 Thessalonians, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And so we, we've, we've made an entire institution not following this. And yes, there are people in the world that we need to take care of, but we also need to teach along the way. You must work to eat. And Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. When you share, I was going to say this for kids. When you share, it is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. When you share, if there are only um, 30 chocolate chips and a serving size is 10 chocolate chips, it is more blessed to give those 10 chocolate chips away. It's a sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord. Praying that God would bless you with another full bag of chocolate. I'm just kidding. But it's more blessed to give, it's to share, it's pleasing to the Lord when what we get by honest hard work, not stealing, and we give it away for God's glory. God wants us to use what we've earned to benefit others. It is not thievery, but it is industry for generosity. Are we a generous people? Are we a generous people? That is just the question. Here, let me tell you where it all begins. Is stewardship, it begins in the heart. Stewardship begins in the heart. God values ownership. Ownership is stewardship. We are to be diligent workers, and then we are to give to others in need. We are to share as a sacrifice. And it all begins in our heart. It doesn't begin on our pocketbooks. It begins in your heart. Just this last week, I was reading Exodus and here's what it said in Exodus 35. I'm going to read them. I summarize them for you on the overhead. Take from among your contribution to the Lord whoever is generous of heart. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, all who were of a willing heart, all the women whose hearts stirred them, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them, and everyone whose heart stirred him. So it begins in your heart. And notice there are two things going on here. There's the generous heart 
And that is the human responsibility. But then there's God's sovereignty over that. A stirred heart doesn't come about by yourself. God is the one working in that heart. Whose hearts stirred him? Whose hearts moved them? And so God moves hearts, he stirs, and then we generously respond by giving generously, giving willingly. It begins in the heart, and as Garrett read earlier, I pray someday we will get to this in our church. I pray that someday we'll get here in the church in America, in the church across the globe, that we, I really think we can do this. I really believe Christians with the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit fully indwelling them. I really believe this could happen. And what a testimony to the entire world where we have to say, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Stop giving. I pray to God in front of you that that happens someday. And if it happens while I'm here, that would be awesome. Please don't bring your money anymore. Our giving box is busted. We're having to build a bigger giving box. But you can keep the commandments and it still not affect your heart. In Matthew 19, the rich young ruler, and we're going to, this is the Easter sermon. Uh, you have to come back, but we're going we're gonna to unfold this. He said to him, which ones? The rich young ruler, which ones? What commandments? Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have kept. What? do I still lack? You'll have to come back on Easter to hear the rest of that. But he kept all the commandments, but not from his heart. In fact, the heart can wander far off from keeping the commandments. The heart can go so far off that it actually enjoys theft. You've seen it in the movies, but let me quote to you someone for whom it was real. Augustine, in his book, Confessions, said, Theft is punished by law, O Lord, and the law is written in the hearts of men, which iniquity itself effaces not. For what thief will abide a thief? Not even a rich thief, one stealing through want. Yet I lusted to thieve and did it. Now some people steal because they're hungry and they can't afford it, and they're, they're wanting just to live. Not Augustine. Compelled by no hunger, nor poverty, but through a coitedness, that means disgust for a disdain of doing well-doing and a pamperedness of iniquity. For I stole that of which I had enough. He didn't even need to steal, yet he longed to steal. And much better, nor I cared to enjoy what I stole. If you go on and read the story, they would go and steal from this pear tree, from a something that didn't belong to them on a, in a lawn that didn't belong to them and they didn't even eat the pears they gave them to the pigs but the but joyed in the theft and sin itself foul soul falling from thy firmament to utter destruction not seeking aught through the shame but the shame itself oh but you're saying to yourself but I I don't I mean like you, I stole that pack of gum. My daddy taught me well. I don't do that. Really? 
Really? Shall we read again Malachi 3? For from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, the nation says, how have we, how shall we return? Verse 8, he goes on and says this. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? Robbed. To steal. To take something that doesn't belong to you. How have you robbed? In your tithes and contributions. In your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. But then he gives hope. In verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Test him in this, is what he says. Now, our health and wealth friends have taken this to the extreme. But I'm going to show you in the New Testament what they have taken to extreme and should not do There's still an angle of it that we should. But before we get there, here's the hope. You may be sitting there going, oh, here he goes. Go on the guilt trip. No. No guilt. No guilt but grace. The gospel gives hope for thieving hearts. If you're here today and you're one of those that give just 2.5% of your income, if you're given from a cheerful heart, praise be to the Lord. If you're given because you're strapped in too many other areas or you just haven't seen the significance and the beauty and the grandeur and the might with which the church would have if we all gave our money, this is for you. But God uses financial language, and I think purposely so, to describe the greatest transaction in the world. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own You were bought with a price. You were purchased for a price. That price is Jesus' own body. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he didn't see equality with God, something to be grasped. He He is the second person of the Trinity. He has it all. He is rich beyond belief. Immeasurable says Ephesians. Yet, for your sake and mine, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, may be made rich. More financial language. Ephesians 1, the biggest word you'll see here, in him we have redemption. That's the biggest word right there. Through his blood, the forgiveness of the of our transpasses. Redemption is a financial word. It means to go to the marketplace and buy someone back for money. In Ephesians 11, we have obtained an inheritance, another financial term, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have an inheritance. It was pre-planned, just like I hope someday to pre-plan some inheritance or my mother's pre-planned some inheritance for us. That's what God's doing on a global scale for all Christians, for all time. And in him, you also. It's not just an inheritance that must wait, though we do. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
and believed him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is a down payment. God said, I don't want you to ever forget how much I love you. I don't want you to ever miss out on how much I have for you. Here you go. Here is the Holy Spirit. God's use of financial language to show you and I how great he is, how sinful we are, how wonderful it is that the gospel that Jesus would come equal with God, become a man, die on a cross, he would be raised again so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. And there's your financial language. When you give, because we're going to talk about it here in a second, should we give 10% off net or gross? Just give as much as Jesus gave. Just give as much as Jesus gave. Are you saying that you have to do the whole widow's might thing? No, no, no. Let me, let me work through that. Here's the contemporary relevance for all believers. Number one, don't steal from God or people. That's, that's the easy one. If you are stealing, if you're stealing cable, if you're pirating movies, whatever it is, just don't steal. Pay back what you owe. I remember I was a graduate from SMU, top 20 business school in the country, working for Arthur Anderson, and my roommate put a chip in our cable box so we could get not just two, four, six, and eight, but we got it all. And I at first was like, oh, okay. And then the conviction, by God's grace and for God's glory, the conviction came. That's not right. I'd started attending church, started getting discipled, and I went to him and I said, my disciple, I said, here's what's up. I just feel icky every time I turn on the TV. And he goes, rightly, should you feel that way? What are you going to do about it? I said, I don't know. What do you want me to do? He said, well, you're going to have to tell your roommate. You can't, can't do that. Okay. Hey, bud, I just don't think we ought to have that chip in our cable box anymore. Why? It's not hurting anybody. I get it. And I was young in my walk here, so I didn't have some cool apologetic. I just said, yeah, I just, I feel convicted. I just, the Bible says we shouldn't steal, and this is a form of stealing. And I, I feel so convicted, I need to call the cable company. Really? Yeah. Kind of looked at me funny. Okay. So we took the chip out. But I was still so convicted, I called Cox Communications. Hello, this is Judd Rumley. I live at such and such in Dallas. How are you? Great. I stole from you. For about four months now, we've had a chip in our I don't, do, can I, should I, how do I repay you? She goes, oh, honey, that's so sweet of you. Just don't use it anymore. But I was ready to pay. You still pay back what you owe. In fact, there's a story uh, J.I. Packer tells of the iron workers in Ireland. There's the great revival 
1922, the workers have been pilfering their tools, and then the Spirit of God moves through that country, and there's this great revival, so much so that all the iron workers, like at one time, bring all their tools. They have to go build new sheds just to house all the tools that the iron workers have stolen. <laughs> what good God can do and provide now for more iron workers because all the thieves were rightly convicted and brought back their tools. Don't steal. And here's what I, I want you to be a joyful steward of God's resources. We're going to look at a verse and we're going to look at it from two angles. First Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, and you may think, I am not rich. Trust me, you've all seen the Francis Chan video. Compared to the rest of the world, we're grotesquely rich. Even if you're strapped right now, the fact that you can go out and even think about buying a $5 coffee, you are absolutely rich beyond belief compared to the rest of the world. So this is to you. Charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God. Who is this God? Here's the description. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So if you got a lot of stuff, enjoy it. I'm not telling you not to enjoy it. God gave it to you. Enjoy it. You got a Jeep? Drive that Jeep. Take me in the Jeep with you. You got fly fishing equipment? Take me in the Jeep with the fly fishing equipment and my boys to Sylvan Lake. And let's have a good time. Amen? Oh, must fish have tools? Not joyful. That's not done work. That's not how he's done it. You got mountain bikes? Ride them. Ride them to the glory of God. You got cool, you got segways? My son, my son, my youngest son says, Dad, I want a segway for my birthday. I was just like, Really, could you see Lawson cruising to the, <laughs> to the park? Luke's down there on his bike. Here comes Lawson. No, we don't have a Segway. We're not going to get a Segway. You can tell that. But whatever we do have, we're going to enjoy it. Now let's look at the second part of this that's highlighted. The rich are to focus on God who gives us everything to enjoy, and they are to be, do good and to be rich in good works. And to be generous and ready to share. You may not have to share, but you're, are you ready to share? I love that. Are you ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may, may take a hold of that which is truly life? Quoting from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So not only do you give of your money, but it says be rich in good works. And the three things that I've been taught as, as I've been growing up is time, talent, and treasure. Are you rich towards God with your time? Go back to the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do you give God time? If not, why not? Just evaluate yourself at home as a family. Your talent to be rich in good works. Every single person in here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ has been given a gift for the local body. It's not a gift to be used the majority of the time outside these walls. It's to be used in these walls. Are you using your gift for God's glory and the benefit of the church? If not, you've been, you've been misinformed. God loved those pastors who've gone before you. Just use your gift wherever. No, the Bible says specifically for the building up of the body of Christ. Well, the body of Christ is bigger. No, the body of Christ is absolutely huge. It is seen in local bodies. Are you using your gift for the local body? If not, why not? 
And then the one that we'll talk about today, your treasure, your, your treasure, your monetary possessions. We've got just one more verse for us, 2 Corinthians 9. Here's the point of all of this. And then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of this church. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Earlier, that was in Malachi where he says, test me in this, see that I'll cover every need, need. And here, it's almost the same wordage. And our health and wealth friends, God love them. Take that sow, sow, sowing seeds. If you'll sow a seed at $25. <laughs> and then they put it with a bunch of other verses and just rip things out of context. God owes you and he'll bless you threefold or fortyfold, sixtyfold. You just see him there with, well, I won't, that would be mean. I want to stop. But, Here's my note on this. <laughs> health and wealth, that health and wealth movement, it's not the real church, goes too far, one to one, or God, if you give 10, God will give 100,000. That's not right. But maybe, just maybe, we don't go far enough. That we look at that verse and we say, oh, that's verse six, that's a health and wealth. That can't mean what it means. It means what it means. You sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. It just, I'll just say it like that. Well, does that mean, let's, folks, let's get out of the nuances of, does that mean if I tithe, God will, no, that's probably not, but you're storing up treasures in heaven, and God may bless you in ways that you don't even understand, but if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. I don't know the details of that. Don't want to know. Each one must give as he's decided, here's that issue again, in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion. I have a note here. Please, please, please do not sign your checks or put anything in that offering box. I, I say this because I love you and I want your best. Don't put it in the offering box begrudgingly. I would rather you hang on to it, go get yourself a Pepsi Cola, pray about it over your Pepsi. Not, not, not Pepsi, maybe, I don't know, an Izzy, something more organic. Pepsi is the first thing that came to mind, but I realize Pepsi is not good for you. Side conversation. Anywho, don't give to this church. Don't give to any church. Do not give if your heart is not in it, in a sense that you're, you're giving it begrudgingly. If your heart has convicted you, you want to start and it's just tough for you, go for it. But don't sign your check. Got to do this. Wish I could be going to Cancun. Go to Cancun, because I'm, I'm more concerned with your heart. I'm probably one of the only pastors you'll ever meet. I don't want you to give to this church unless you really want to give to this church. That's something you haven't heard before, because I really want your blessing not to be, I gave to the church, ergo, therefore God needs to bless me. It's, I am so blessed. I am so blessed beyond belief. I want to give this joyfully. That's what it's all about. And look at the promise. 
And God is able to make all grace, this is an act of grace, abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that is huge. He has all sufficiency in all things at all times. I read in one commentary this week, to give is to trust. We are trustees, and to be a good trustee, you've got to trust God. God, I'm going to give this $100, and I'm just going to trust that you'll take care of me. May not come back in a form of $100, but you're going to, I'm going to give this $100, and I'm going to trust you. Because you're all sufficient in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. So do you have to give a certain percentage? Everybody and their mother has an idea on this. Let me give you the biblical idea. It is not a tithe in the New Testament. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 23, you tithe the mint and come and shouldn't you do this and more? To the Jews who were under the law who were doing that, yes. To you, there is no percentage given. Only give as much as Jesus gave. With a joyful heart. I've given you a play sheet for your pocketbook. It is the other, only other sermon I've done on this. Kevin DeYoung and his plan says, uh, pray for a generous heart. Have a lifestyle cap. I love that. Decide in your own heart right now what it takes to live. And once you start getting paid over that, give it all to the, the Lord. Don't increase your standard of living, but increase your standard of giving. His A there is accountability. I, I love that. How many of you have submitted your budget to somebody else for accountability? And then he says, no less than a tithe. To which I say, look at 1-5. Our standard of giving is not a dollar amount or a percentage of our budget. It is the Lord. That's on one side. On the other, John Wesley has some very convicting questions. I've given you the summary of a book called Neither Poverty Nor Riches. People sometimes say, are you asking me to be uh, impoverished and just give everything like the widow's might or like those in Macedonia? No. In fact, I, I would go read that book by Craig Blomberg. He's in Denver. Good dude. But he talks about a survey of the Old Testament, and he comes up with six principles in a survey of the New Testament and comes up with five principles. And the prayer is from Proverbs 30, give me neither poverty nor riches, because if I'm poverty, I may want to steal and break that commandment, and if you give me riches, then I won't depend on you. So give me neither. And it isn't mediocrity, but give me what I can handle so I can be a blessing to others. Brad Hambrick's heart-penetrating budget definitions, the first one there, a budget is the numerical expression of an individual's family's mission and priorities. When I read that, I stopped in my tracks, and I'm like, wow. That goes straight to the heart, Brad. Why do you have to phrase it like that? Because you look at your budget, and it's, is this budget that Ashley and I have on mission with God? And then you see Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps. Some of you have followed those. Number five, college fund for kids. I found a, actually Ashley sent it to me called uh, Five Ways to Save and Pay Cash for College for Kids in Five Years from one of the blogs she reads about here's how they did it. These are just suggestions on some of these. And then the treasure principle by Randy Alcorn is wonderful. Are you living for the dot that's life now or for the arrow that is eternal life? That's for you. It's a teaching tool you can use in your own life and use with others. 
So if you're here today and, it, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm in a local church. If, if you're just visiting today, this is not for you. Not for you in here. It's for wherever you go to church. Hopefully you go to church. Should be in a church. If, why aren't you giving to your local church? If you're in debt, let's work, let's work on that. If you're in the bondage of money, the borrowers, the lenders, slave, let's get out of the bondage of money into the blessings of ministry. But if you're not in debt and you've got a lot of discretionary funds, could it be that you've decided where you want your money to go? That's the, that's the, the, biggest, the bigger issue. The biggest issue is the heart. The second biggest issue is do people give to the church? The third biggest one is those people who are actually generous in giving, but then they think to themselves, I'm, I'm the arbiter here of where my money goes. And let me just direct you on that. It should go to your local church first. Who says? Me and John Piper. Let's read his quote. When we give our resources to support the cause of the gospel, does God require that a certain percentage go to the local church? And of course, now in view of all that we've seen, all that I've just taught, the answer is no. Oh, grace, grace, grace. The question is not decided by rules and percentages. Conviction. The largeness of your heart, that's the first issue, the biblical centrality of the local church, that's the second issue, and the wonderful value of other ministries decide the question. May I split my time? In the next phrase, here's what he's going to say. So yes, I do think the local church has a unique and special place in God's plan and therefore a special claim on the giving of its people. Other kinds of ministries are wonderful, and I want them all to flourish. I'm involved in some. But the one institution in the world that is clearly rooted in the New Testament and in the gospel is the local church. If that institution falls, and let this fall on your ears, if that institution fails, all other ministries become ineffective. Indeed, if the church fails, all other ministries become unbiblical. The local church is the seedbed for all other ministries. The church is the place where the participants in those ministries find their nourishment and the biblical expression of their corporate worship. So give to your local church. And here's what I want to say, and you see, you can see our budget sitting in your chair. So I'm going to walk through it because I care this much about your hearts. I don't care about your money. I care about your hearts. From 2009 to 2012, it just does no good to show you we were <laughs> upside down all around. So Mike started with 2012. We didn't make it by two grand. And then in 2013, praise the Lord, we were 19 grand ahead. 2014, we were 23 grand ahead. In 2015, we had budgeted only to be 2,000 ahead. We were 53,000 ahead. That's a difference of $51,000. And this year, you're saying, whoa, why is there a negative this year? First, let me explain why there's a negative this year. It's because we want to do something down in that third bullet point. We want to bring on a new person. We want to bring on people. We've decided as an elder board, we are about people, not programs or places. Do we want a building? Amen. Yes. But it's kind of fun setting up the curtains, isn't it? I mean, it's very tabernacle-like. 
But we want a place, and we want to do as many programs as that are gospel-centered as we can do that fit our vision and mission. But we're about people, and so we wanted to bring on a person. And we told you later last year, here's what we're going to do. And we're telling you here, here's what we'd like to do. Because we have a lot we want to do, and not one person, myself, can do it all. So we need more people. That is why we're trying to bring on a person. And you're saying, okay, I see where there's a deficit now. But here, let me kind of hit you in the heart. I'm not real concerned, and I told Mike this, I told Jim this, I told Ben this, and before that I told Chris, and I told the other elders. I really don't care what the amount is. I really don't. God has given me, by His grace and for His glory, He's given me as a senior pastor, lead pastor, um, just that I don't care about the amounts. So one day I said to Mike, I don't care how much we're making. I just want to know percentage-wise And I don't even know who gives. I just want to know units by units. That's why we came up with units. Hey, if we're if we're got this budget of a hundred thousand, and that's been given by two people, that's not going to sit as well with me if we're given a hundred thousand and that's given by all the people. So we came up with units. And as you can tell here, in 2014 we had 60 units. That went down in 2015, and it's actually probably going to drop a little bit in 2016 because we had four member families, good, and I would assume good giving families, four of them leave last year. That's a dozen people left. But but here's the things that hit home. We have 54 giving units. Let me show you percentage of total giving by the top units. It should be the next slide. It's on your paper there. Total giving from the top five is 37%. From the top 10 is 57%. From the top 20. So 20 units give 80%. It is, in some way, it's a little different, but in some way, it is the 80-20 rule. We have 20 units giving 80% of our funds. Ours actually works out a little bit more um, because 20 over 54 is, is not 20%. It's closer to 50%. Here's the point. Folks, people have dreams about why aren't we doing this in this summer and where can't, why can't we do this? We can't do it because we don't have money. <laughs> you you want to hear it like We can't do it because we don't have money. We're going to continue to do what we do and we're going to make it happen as we've been doing for seven years and God has been good. But if we are dreaming to send some, a family overseas, if we're dreaming to bring someone on board, if we're dreaming our big dreams, and you want us to dream, right? I hope you're here and wanting to dream. If you're dreaming of a small little church doing their small little thing, thinking small, I'd encourage you to go to small churchville somewhere else. I don't even know where. But we're not, we're not, I'm not thinking mega church. You can't have a mega church in the mountains. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm just dreaming big for God, asking more uh, from Him because he gives abundantly. So if you're dreaming small and you've got small dreams, I encourage you to go dream somewhere else. If you've got big dreams, join us. And that's going to take some effort from everybody. And if only 20 units are giving 80% of the budget, it hit me at an elders meeting a couple months ago. I just said, I have to say something with much grace and much love Here's what I have to say. It's not right. 
not right. I'll say it again. I don't care. My salary set. It does. My salary is not like a bonus. We get so much tithe, you get a bonus. That's my salary is set. It doesn't move. Should a million dollars come in this year? That'd be sweet. Or one point six five billion. That'd be awesome. All to Eagle Bible Church. You would have your hands full. <laughs> you see Mike out there with wads of cash. <laughs> But my salary's set. So like Risky said at the end of last year, it's not lying in these pockets. My salary's set. It's not right because you're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out on being a part of the greatest institution ever. You're missing out. It's not right. You're missing out. You're missing out on being a part of something wonderful and seeing You're missing it when you can take someone and you can buy them a lunch or you can fund somebody doing something and see in their eyes life. You're missing out. That if you look at the median of giving, of half the people gave more, half the people gave less, the median given for every person sitting in here is less than 200 bucks a month. It's about a phone bill, and that's what discouraged me. It's just not right. Not because Eagle Bible Church needs your money, because it tells me where your heart is. And I say that with love. And I say that, honestly, I say that as somebody who has watched God work in his own life in the areas of giving, not only in my life personally, but in my mother's life, and I've watched it. And I've seen God do a great work and I've seen my own heart be so changed and moved and not worried about much. I won't say anything. That would be hyperbolic. My mama, when my father died, was left with tons of debt and she stayed faithful. And God has blessed her. And watched. Now, she's not flying around in a Learjet. She doesn't wear the zoot suit. No gold on the fingers, but she is, she, God has taken care of her. In my own life, when we got married, hey, what are you, you when young people, when you want to get married to someone, you need to ask them, where are you theologically? Where are you in your ministry philosophy? Where are you financially? Hey, we, we both got some debt. She brought in more debt than but we paid it off. We, we made a decision. We were both in seminary. We were paying five, back in the day, <laughs> we were paying 500 bucks a month to go to seminary. Some people were taking out loans. We're like, we're not going to do it. That means we're eating ramen noodles and halos. That's what we're going to do. And we made a commitment. Now watch this. I'm your lead pastor here. I decided in my heart, that I could give cheerfully 5% of my income. That's what I'm going to give. And then I told her, as God provides and as our hearts grow, we're going to increase that every year. Not by a whatever percent. We didn't go with percent. I just said, we're going to increase it every year. And I won't even tell you what I'm giving now. But whoa, how good God is. Every year, we've increased it. And guess what? 
Also, I will say this. We didn't stop at the tithe. Some people stop at 10%. Great. That's what you're... We didn't stop. And I'm not going to stop. Can I give you some hope? If you're here today and you're like, I just don't know if I can give. Let me, just, let me show you. With that deficit where we are, if every unit, if everybody coming here would give an extra, it's on the next slide, Ben, an extra $416 over one year, that's 34 bucks a month. I calculated it last week. We went out to Moe's Barbecue after 35 bucks. So next month, if we say, hey, instead of going to Moe's, let's just put that extra 35 towards the churches, the local church, supporting the local church for the rest of the year, that surplus, we, we, not surplus, that deficit would become a small surplus if everybody just gave 35 more dollars a month. How cool would it be if people said, no, 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 I'm not just going to do that. I'm actually going to start tithing or giving. That would be even better. But if you're here today and this, this, is, this issue haunts you and it's heavy for you, I don't want you to feel guilty. Try this. I haven't run this by the elders, so they can rebuke me later, but this is what came to me. Get on a 13-year plan. Yeah. Start giving. If you're here and you don't give at all, try this. And I mean this. We'll take it. He takes the widow's money. Give a dollar a month. And then in the next, so now give a dollar in the next month, two dollars. And then three all the way up to 12. In one year, you'll be giving $12. And then the next year, 13, all the way up into the third year where you're giving about, um, well, I guess it would have to be a 16-year plan. Hold on, I work for Arthur Anderson. Yes, it would have to be a 16-year plan because I don't want to misquote. Jenkins over there is like, God, what? 16-year plan. In six years, you will be giving about 1% in six years. Then from that, for the next 10 years, start increasing 1%, 2%, 3% until you're giving a tithe. It's a 16-year plan. I'm in for the long term. I don't need to see the money tomorrow. I want to see your heart. Are you willing to do that for 16 years? Are you willing to make a commitment to God and all that he's going to do to what could be if I say I'm going to start with a dollar and then two, three, four, five, twelve dollars $12, dollars $24, $36, $48, $50, 60, now 48, 12, 60, 72 bucks right there, six years. And then that's about 1% of people's income, average, just guessing. And then I'm going to give 2%, 3%, 4%. Because what happens is, is when you decide in your heart to do that, then you go to your budget, and it's easy. You said, hey, baby, this just, it was just a week ago. Hey, baby, this is, this is where we're at. What do you say we do this? She goes, you're the finance guy. I was like, Okay. Well, I decided for us as in our heart, we're, I'm the finance guy. We want to increase, and we're going to increase. But that didn't, that, that's, that's seven years prior to, uh, that's seven years here. That's another seven years. That's been 14, it's been 16 years since we've been married, that we've been building. It's a 16-year plan. It all fits now, 16 years. Start with a dollar. But I mean to do it. When you give that buck, I don't even have any money. I have a credit card. God, this is yours. It's a dollar, but it's yours. Use it for whatever you want to do. 
because I'm happy to give a fuck. Be joyful. 16-year plan. I'll end with where I began. What could happen? So at first we were talking about 1.65 billion. What could happen if the Spirit of God through the Word of God moved here? We could send people overseas, fully funded. We could hire staff. We could we could grow gospel. We're not trying to grow just to grow. Who knows? Maybe we could even give it, get a building. Keith's got to retire. No more setup. It's already done. There's something special. Don't get me wrong. There's something special about setup. What could happen? Funding people. Hiring people. Building things. And then my dream is this is one of the greatest places to live on earth. Look around. Why couldn't we? Why couldn't we be the place where I don't have to go to Kentucky to a pastor's conference? They can come here and they could stay for free for a week and get their heart right. And you could pour into them. You could pour into them. And they could come here and experience the beauty that we get to live in because we've thought big and we've dreamed big and we have to match all that given big. Father, You are a God of grace, and so I hope there's not one person in here who feels a false guilt, shamed. I do pray for those who may feel some conviction, some good guilt. Might you show them grace and mercy and show them what great things could do and release them from that bondage to money and get them into the blessings of ministry. Father, for those in here who've faithfully given to this local body, might they not lose heart in their contributions and might you just bless them. And for those who are, who are just good givers, they do give of something but not much. They're distracted by other things. Help them to become great givers. Father, I pray for myself. Convict myself and Ashley where we are too tight with our money. And might you do a mighty work for your glory and the good of your church across the world, starting right here in Eagle, Colorado. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.